it's my great privilege to in, uh, introduce Roger, who's going to be preaching uh, this morning. Now, when, yeah, come on, you can cheer and whoop. Um, whenever Olive is leading and she gets to introduce her husband, she always says, oh, uh, Roger's using two tables today, so this is going to be quite intellectual. Looking forward to it. Yeah. For me, yeah. For you, okay. Um, she always says um, she gets to introduce her favourite person in the world. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm about to say this. Um, Roger, you are one of our favourite people in the world. Cool. And um, I know very few people who are just so authentic, so full of God, um, so cheeky. But whose <laughs> who's life just lives, you know, the joy and the fun and the passion of God. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to say today. Let's thank just you. pray for you. Father, thank you for Roger. Thank you um, that he's part of our lives. Um, and as he speaks today, Lord, just give him clarity of thought. Thank you, Lord, that he's diligent in preparation, but thank you as well that he's sensitive to your spirit and that it's that spirit which will um, dictate what he brings to us today as you prepare our hearts, Father, to hear what he has to say. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Cool. It's good to see you all. Um, happy birthday, Mark, for the other day. I hope you finished blowing out your many, many candles since then. Um, you must be very, very old now. I'm not sure. Yeah, I do know how old, but uh, there we go. Cool. Um, I know Cheryl was looking for one of those posh Bibles with all the, with all the labels in, but I've, I've made my own. And very neat it looks too, doesn't it? <laughs> Cheryl, there you go. That's what you need to do. You don't need to buy a posh one. You can have that one there. Cool. Well, it's good to see you all. And um, it looks like we're in the south of France, doesn't it? With all, you know, shirt, shirt sleeves, given that in the week it was freezing. But here we are. It's really warm today, isn't it? So that's good. But I trust um, whenever I come to preach, it's the little boy with his lunch. I bring my little five loaves and two fish or however many it is. And I'm trusting that as I give it, God will take it and share it. So everybody here will receive. Um, you know, I was joking with uh, Chris earlier that uh, God can even use a donkey. So I'm probably okay. You know, because he, uh, he can certainly use me if he can use a donkey. So there we go. I was, uh, I've been thinking about what I should um, preach. And I always go through that moment when I think I'm never going to do this again. This is just too painful. I've got nothing. Um, you know, and it's about sort of, usually about Monday or Tuesday. I've got nothing. And then, and all it reminds me about, oh yeah, what about, and then, then it comes together. But it's a horrible, it's a horrible feeling preparing for something like this. Uh, but I think it's part of the thing that you go through and say, God, I have nothing. I need you to give me what these people need. I don't want to give them my opinions, my revelations. You know, I've got lots of opinions. They wouldn't bless you too much. So hopefully what I bring is from him. So there we go. But a few weeks ago, we went away for a couple of days. And um, I had a bit of a, a, a tossing and turning night. I just had my flu jab and my COVID jab in the same arm. You know, tough man that I am, in the same arm, on the same day, you know, kind of, there it was. And so that night, I think I was having a bit of a, you know, a sort of a tossing, turning. I was a bit hot and I wasn't sure of sleeping. But I kept getting this phrase going round in my head. And it was, leave your sheep and go and find him. 
And, you know, as you're tossing at night, you're not quite there. And I'm thinking, what are you saying to me, Lord? Well, go leave my sheep. What's my sheep? Is my sheep my family? Should I be moving? Uh, what should I be doing? You know, I'm tossing to him. What are you asking me, Lord? What do I need to do? And because one of the things about living in Cambridge, we've been here a long time. My family is here. Uh, my son particularly would be very offended if we moved that we'd have to really know it was God. But I was thinking, is that what you're saying, Lord? Do you want me to move? But anyway, um, I just felt that I should bring, Olive encouraged me, bring that today. So I'm going to bring that. Leave your sheep and go and find him. Now, one of the things recently happened to us over the last 18 months is that my son and his and my grandchildren have moved out of our house to their own house, which is nice to have space. But I run out of all the little anecdotes that I have, you know, that, um, that, that, that things they've said. Because I was remembering, um, I listened to, I preached about two years ago on, on the shepherds as well. And I was remembering what Leo had said, you know, uh, someone had asked him, what do you put out for Father Christmas? I don't know, what do you put out for Father Christmas? You know, milk or brandy or all that, mince pies or whatever. What was he going to put out? The fire. But, and it's obvious, really, isn't it, to a literal thinker that you have to put the fire out, otherwise Father Christmas is going to burn himself. But, you know, so that, but I've, I've kind of run out of that. Although the other day, it, it did help me, and I was thinking about this this morning. I went, I had to go and pick the kids up from school because uh, Nat was working, Kathleen had, had hurt her back, and they had a little Christmas sing-song in the playground. So I went along to that. And then I had to take them home on their scooters, which is a bit of an ordeal in itself because I walk along you know, hunting the road, and they're on the scooters. Leah was way off, and, and, and uh, Lily's not way off, and, you know, it's... But anyway, so they, uh, we, we get at the end of the singing, and because Leo's in the juniors, and Lily's in the infants, so the scooters are in different places. So I say to Leo, Leo, go and get your scooter, come back here. Off he goes. And so then, then I've got Lily, and then she said to me, Grandad, you get my scooter, and I'll go and get Leo. I said, hang on a minute. You go and get your scooter, and I'll, because I've told Leah to come, but he's going to come back, which he did. So this morning, I'm going to focus on getting my scooter. I'm going to share what I've got, and it's up to God what you guys get and what you do with it, okay? I'm not going to try and make you do anything. I'm not going to do your response for you, but I'm just going to bring what I've got. I'm going to focus on my scooter, okay? I'm not going to be telling God what he has to do or telling you what you have to do, but I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit and allow him to apply the word. And at the end of the day, you need to take responsibility for what you do with it. Is that, is that a deal? So I'll just share it. You take responsibility. I think I've got the easier option. Actually, this morning, I just have to share it. You guys need to. But you know what I'm saying? That's always the case. Whenever we hear something, we can't expect the preacher or the pastor or whoever to do things for us. We need to take steps ourselves. And I'm seeing increasingly that things don't just happen. In our spiritual lives, things don't just happen. They don't just automatically come about. We have to take steps. We have to actually take hold of what God has said and do something with it. And it's often, sometimes, I say often, it, it can be painful. It can be painful steps we have to take. But the blessing is the end of it, isn't it? I was thinking this morning about the lady who touched the, the hem of the robe. You know, she, she went through all the people. And I was thinking about all these COVID things at the moment and the masks. And, and it's tempting just to give up, isn't it? Think, oh, blow it. You know, why don't we just give up and not have a, a meeting? We've got to wear masks. But let's just push through all these regs and let's get hold of the, the hem of Jesus. Yeah, are you up for this? Let's not be those that just give up and say, oh, it's too hard now. Because it's a privilege to be born at such a time as this. It's a privilege to be alive now. It's a privilege to be in the kingdom now, isn't it? And that's the attitude we need to have. Okay? Deal? Okay. So leave your sheep 
and go and find him. So I am going to start by looking at the shepherds, because it's Christmas after all. I'm supposed to be, you know, kind of, kind of Christmas story-ish. So I'm going to do kind of Christmas story-ish, but I'm going to go elsewhere. Because I, d- I did preach something similar two years ago, and it's still on the website, 8th of December 2019. It's very funny, actually. And I know you're not supposed to say that, but when I listened to it, I thought it was really funny. But it's, it's a lot easier when there's a lot of people in the house. We were saying to Bob earlier, you can, you, can, uh, you can have a bit of rock repartee. So listen to that. That, that will give some of the background um, to, to what I'm saying when I talk about something here. So Luke 2, 8 to 20. I'm just going to read the standard story. But again, it's Christmas. It's a Christmas story. You've heard it two million times. But it's the word of God. So on the two millionth of one time, God can speak to you fresh revelation. Because he's like that. So in all that you're doing this Christmas, when you hear the word read, be open. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this that I need to hear now? In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Or I think in the King James, he said, sore afraid. They were sore afraid. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. Okay, who's part of all the people? Yeah, we all are. So this is good news for all of us now, not just the shepherds. To you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God. Or I should say singing really, shouldn't it? (laughs) Sorry, was that a bit painful? (laughs) Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those who be favours. That was a nice song this morning, wasn't it? I'd not heard that before, that song about glory. That was was good, wasn't it? When the angels had left them and gone into, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste. And you know, you know the story. And things that just struck me as I read through it that time when I was preparing. A saviour, who is a messiah, the Lord. And it says, this will be a sign for you. It's a sign. It's not just, this is how you know when you've got there. But this is a sign. You'll find a babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And, and if you remember, I talked about... This thing, the Migdale, um, I forgot how you say it, Migdale Eda, which is the place where the sacrificial lambs were kept. And if you want to know more about it, I, I preached it last time. Uh, Peter's written a book all about it. So, you know, you can find out more. But it's the, 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 the sheep they were looking after weren't their own sheep. They were probably the sacrificial lambs for the, for the temple, for the Passover. They were, they were kind of to be pure and holy. They were put, they were wrapped in swaddling clothes and put in a manger. You know, like the lamb of the world. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and put in a manger in the Migdal Eda. So that's possibly true. I, it's more than likely true, but it's not, it's, I can't say it's... Um, these lambs were birthed for one thing. These lambs that were put in that place were birthed for the Passover. You remember they were celebrating blood on the lentils, salvation, people being safe from the destroying angel that came, and that's what they were celebrating. So the same for us. Uh, the sacrificial lamb, Jesus, uh, his blood on the cross saved us from death. Because that's what we deserved. 
We deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve all of us. Even the nice ones. I know you're going to say that I would deserve it, but even the nice people, that's what they deserve because we needed a saviour and we needed his blood. And so that was good. So then I was reminded about Jesus, the Lamb of God. And the man that said that a few times, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Who was the guy that said that? Behold, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist. So I'm going to John the Baptist. Um, in in uh, John 1, 29. It says that this is John the Baptist. I'll look a bit at his birth in a moment. 129. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who takes away the sin of the world. My sin, your sin, everybody's sin. We're so glib with it, aren't we? But it's incredible that he took away all the things that were in my way of being, you know, of, of relationship with God. And my nature, my nature that made me do what was wrong, is gone. It's died on the cross with him. Fantastic, isn't it? The Lamb of God. So that's why I say, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I want to read verse 30 to 34. Sorry, I haven't even stopped this yet. That's better. He said, um, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because... He was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So I'm preaching about leave your sheep and go and find him. Leave your sheep and go and find him. The Lamb of God. That's what John the Baptist said. Behold the Lamb of God. Saying to us, behold, don't just look but gaze on the Lamb of God. That's what we're called to do. But it goes on. Because this is why I was thinking of John the Baptist. It said in the next verse, 35, that John was standing with two of his disciples. One of them was Andrew and possibly John or Philip. They're not sure which was which. But for me, it'd be nice if it was Philip because it makes the chapter symmetrical because both Andrew and Philip then went and found somebody and brought them to Jesus. So, but, you know, it may not be that because of that. But that does make, that's a nice little turn of, turn of the chapter. And it says it, when, when John the Baptist saw him going by, he said to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God. And what did they do? They left John and went to follow Jesus. And there's a little bit of something going on, you know, a funny, funny kind of little uh, encounter because he sees them coming and uh, whose boy is that? <laughs> so... Uh, Very good. I was about five minutes too early. <laughs> cool. So there's a little funny little thing, isn't it, where Jesus says, hi guys, what do you want? And they say, we want to see where you're staying. And, and anyway, they go and they spend. And they become disciples of Jesus. Leave your sheep and, f and find him. They left what they'd known. They left the religious whatever 
that they were used to. They were disciples. They weren't just, you know, they were, they were kind of committed to John. But when they saw Jesus, they left him and they followed Jesus. And I believe that's what we need to do. We need to leave behind the things that are of the past, the things that perhaps were once dear to us. And we need to look and follow Jesus when he calls us on. Okay. Um, it says the two disciples, uh, and they became disciples of Jesus. Um, so, what, leave your sheep and go and find him. This is what I said, leave the old wineskin. Leave the old revelation. Leave the old ways that you've walked in. Leave the old traditions that have been so dear. And go and find him. Leave behind anything that stops you walking with him. Yeah? Leave behind anything that stops you walking with him. Go and find him. Finding and following him is putting all else aside. All I once held dear. Built my life upon. That's Graham Kendrick's song. All I once held dear and built my life upon. is just dross now. It's talking from that a bit in Philippians about saying, everything that was to my gain, I count as loss. I count as rubbish. I count as camera compared to the knowing him and walking with him and being found in him not having a righteousness of my own but being found in him faith in him okay so john the baptist what did he think about this because think about it he said these two guys following him and all of a sudden i mean it's a bit like you know um, as a church you know people in the church and they say sorry guys we've found someone else. we're going to follow someone else now uh, we thank you for all you've done blah blah uh, we're off now to follow a, a greater revelation. We're going to follow Jesus now. Hopefully we're all following Jesus. But you know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make it make sense. So what did John the Baptist, how did he feel about this? You know, because pastors and leaders can get a bit tetchy. You know, when they lose followers. Can't we? We, we can get ourselves. Oh, why have they left our church and gone somewhere? You know, what's so special about them? All that kind of stuff, isn't it? You know, but people have to follow what God is saying to them, don't they? So we should allow them to go if that's what God is revealing, as long as it is what God's thing. But this is, this is John. Okay, so that's us. What are they doing? You know, what's so special about them? Where they're going is a load of rubbish. Anyway, I went there once and they were kind of, um, what, you know, you fill in the gaps, you know, with the things we say. So if you look in John 3, 26, this is John the Baptist. This is how John, what the John the Baptist said. Uh, 26, yeah. It says, uh, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you testified here, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. All are going to him, John the Baptist. What are you going to do about it? You're losing all your followers. You need to become more relevant. You need to be more current. You need to have a bit more razzmatazz in your meetings. And then people would stay. But they're all going and following Jesus. John answered, no one can receive anything except what has been given him from heaven. You yourself are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase. I must decrease. John the Baptist was sent for that very reason. He was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. He was sent that people would know Jesus. He wasn't sent for himself. He wasn't sent to make a name for himself. So many people are trying to make names for themselves when we need to be making a name for Jesus. We need to be honoring him 
don't we? We must be saying, he must increase. It's easy to get that wrong way around, sorry, and then you're going to laugh at me. But he must increase, I must decrease. Yeah, he didn't resent or oppose the fresh revelation of Jesus. He came because of that. And we as people are called to focus people on others, on him. We're signposts, aren't we? Like John the Baptist, we're to be signposts. We're to sign people to Jesus. If people come and receive from us for a while and then go on to Jesus, that's fantastic. That's what it's all about. We're not building people into ourselves because we're building them into fail. If we're building people into ourselves, they're going to fail because they need to be built in to Jesus. We need to recognize God's fresh new working and embrace it. You know, Mark talked last week about the day of our visitation. They missed the day of their visitation when Jesus went in on a donkey because they were so caught up in the old. They were so caught up in the, we're the Jews, we're, we're, we've got the revelation, blah, blah, blah. They missed the day of the visitation and destruction came upon their city. And, you know, we're looking for a fresh move of the Spirit, aren't we? Or some people are, anyway. I think people are looking for a fresh move. As you listen to people from around the country, people are talking, saying God is going to move, there's going to be revival, things are going to happen. But, you know, things don't always come the way we expect. And often, it's the things that are at the forefront that are the resistance for the new thing that comes in. You know, if you look through church history, you see that the, God moves and you get a kind of a, a formation of a, of a new wineskin, maybe the Methodists, whatever, and they carry some new revelation. Then God moves again with more revelation on top of what they've already got. And the guys that resist it, the guys, we mustn't be like that. We mustn't resist the new that wants, God wants to do, no matter what it looks like. It might come in a different kind of way that we don't like. It's too bad. We have to start liking it. We need to be open to the moving of the Spirit. We need to be aware of what Jesus is going to do and be open to his, his moving. It's, I'm saying, leave your sheep. Leave the old. Leave the conventional, the traditional, the safe, the distractions, the sin, and go and find him. Yeah? Father, help us. Help us. Help us to leave behind what we need to so that we can go and find you because you are all that we need, Lord. Give us revelation, I pray. And what struck me when I was preparing, you know, please, if you think I'm preaching, let's put Christ back into Christmas. I'm not. Yeah, stuff that, that's rubbish. We need to put Christ as our Christmas and then see what of Christmas is left. Do you know what I mean? Christmas might be gone. But if we've got Jesus, so much better. I know you think I'm kind of a Christmas humbug. I used to love it. But I've been on the street working. I've been in retail. I've seen it's horrible. It's horrible. All the commercialism and stuff. And that's what's put me off. But, you know, Christmas can be such a godless time. You know, it's talking about Jesus. And we just live godless lives. You know, feasting and drinking. And we need to find Jesus, don't we? And then do what he's saying. And see if any of our traditions and stuff can survive. Um, but at the end of the day, we need Jesus. Things are changing, aren't they? Things are changing. We can see that. You know, here we are coming to Christmas, got to wear masks. We've been in lockdown. Are we going to be in blah, blah, blah. Things are changing. The world is not the same. And we have got to go to the, go to the rock that doesn't roll. To coin a phrase. Okay. I would like to speak now. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am moving on. Um, Seems to have turned over two pages. Never mind. Okay, here we go. So John the Baptist. 
he was born to, I'll do a little quiz for you now. John the Baptist, what were his parents called? Elizabeth and Zechariah. And what was the case, what was, what, what, what kind of place were they in, Elizabeth and Zechariah? Within the first flush of youth or? No? They were about as old as Bob. <laughs> Very young then. Yeah, and, and basically, Elizabeth was, Elizabeth was barren. Yeah? And I want to just talk a little bit about barrenness for a while. And, and you know, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to offend people or, or kind of upset people because, you know, it is difficult when people kind of have children. And I, and I understand that. And, and I pray that if people are looking to have children and are not succeeding, that God would bless the fruit of their womb right now and that you would open the womb for them in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would be a comfort to them at this time. Okay, but I do want to talk about barrenness, okay, because Elizabeth was barren. But if you look in the Bible, there's some very significant people that came from barren mothers. And I wonder if we can name some or all. Okay, you're only allowed to do one each. Otherwise, Chris will get them all. Samuel the prophet is one. That was going to be yours. Okay. It's, who else? Some famous people. But who else came from barren mothers? Isaac. Isaac. Yeah. Who else? Obviously, John the Baptist. There's two more. Sorry? Samuel. Yeah, we've said, we've said Samuel. But that was almost another one. Samson. Oh, yeah, well, he's a visitor, so we're alone. <laughs> well, everyone else is looking thick, so I couldn't, what I've got to do. I've got to go where the bright spark is, haven't I? There's one more. Sorry? Hannah and Samuel, yes, but there's one more, and it was twins. It was twins. Yeah, so who? who? Isaac and Jacob. Jacob and Esau, <laughs> yeah. Jacob and Esau. We got there. That's great. So, John the Baptist. Um, he was born to... Uh, let, let me, let's just have a little look. I'm just going to pick some verses out, if I may. John 1, verse 7. Talks about them. says, But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. So it's Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Zechariah goes, uh, he's got, his turn is to go into the, the temple to give the offering, and he meets an angel. And the angel says... Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you'll name him John. Um, Zechariah is a bit of a silly billy, so he doesn't believe the angel. So we find in verse 1, verse 20, it says, But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be filled in their time, you will become mute and able to speak until the day these things occur. So Zechariah didn't believe the angel. Um, and the angel said, okay, you're going to be mute until this happens. I thought, always thought it was a punishment. But actually, it's obvious, really. Because he's talking, if he's going to talk negative and lack of faith, we need him shut up. We need him shut up so that the miracle can take place. And often, we sometimes, or not often, sometimes we need to shut up. If we don't have faith, shut your mouth. Yeah, shut your mouth. Don't talk. But seek God for faith. But so God, the, the, he was, his mouth is closed because he was, he was going to say the, the wrong things. 
And then the angel talking to Mary tells us a bit more about this. If you look at um, 1, 35 to 38, um, it says, The angel said to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. This is Jesus, obviously. And now, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is a sixth month for who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And she said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. So I just want to pick up. The angel said to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Okay, a child, though your wife is barren. Your prayer has been heard. And the angel said to Mary about that situation, nothing will be impossible with God. So let's bear that in mind. Because I want to say, a person's barrenness, this is me ahead of games because I'm going to talk about barrenness. A person's barrenness is not the end or ending of God's plan for them. He or she can produce fruit and great advantage for the kingdom. Because the people we've talked have all been very significant. Haven't they? All those people we named have been significant. They've been key times in the purposes of God. It's almost like God has gone to barren people or caused people. Well, I don't know. I can't say other way. But, you know, it's, it's almost used the barren ladies or couples to bring significant people for the kingdom. And one thing I just, just have, it's very sad. You know, Samson's mom, they didn't even tell us what her name was. It just says Manoah and his wife, the woman. And then you met the woman. Poor old gal. We'll have to find out her name when we get to heaven, won't we? So, so do you know her name? Sorry? Noah's wife. I, she was a different woman, though, surely. No name. The woman with no name. I was just trying to think. It reminded me of something. I can't remember what it is. Okay, so last time I preached, I talked about Samuel. And I think I might have said, or when I, when I preached it, there was two things I had in mind. I just preached the one, which was about Samuel, who was in the presence of God. He was ministering to the Lord, despite of the wickedness going around him. And that eventually God met him, gave him his word, and that God let none of his words fall to the ground. That God appeared in uh, Shiloh because Samuel was there. Yeah, God, so there was that, and I was talking about ministering to God and being in his presence, that God would give his word to speak. So that's what I talked about that time. But I just want to take it back a little bit and look at Samuel's mum, who was called Hannah. Very good, church. Okay, so we're looking at Samuel 1, verse 9. Yeah, obviously. He said rudely. Sorry, apologies. See what she has to put up with, you see. After they'd eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose. I've said, I said this last time, but you know, sometimes us guys can be a little bit thick. Have you noticed that? Because Manoah said to Hannah, she didn't have any children. So she said, aren't, he said, aren't I worth more than 10 sons to you? She didn't say yes, did she? <laughs> no. That was a little bit... Um, anyway, put that aside. So this is... After they'd eaten drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
she made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. There's another sensitive male going on in the, in the story. Thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favour in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her in due time. In the due time, a son was born. So let me just step you through this. Um, you know, no doubt Hannah and her husband have been doing the right thing. They fished all night, but caught nothing. You know, that's that's the thing that the disciples did. They've been. It's not like they haven't been doing uh, what they're supposed to have been doing, but nothing. Been doing the right things, nothing. But in this thing here, in nine, she presented herself to the Lord. In verse ten, she was deeply distressed. In verse ten, also she prayed to the Lord. In verse eleven, a misery, praying out of misery. She wept bitterly. In verse ten again, continued praying. Verse twelve, just her lips were moving. The priest thought she was drunk, but she said, "I'm a deep, a woman deeply troubled." Verse fifteen, pouring out my soul before the Lord, speaking out of my great anxiety. And vexation. She was obviously in deep distress in the situation she was in, coming before the Lord. And in, I looked in Isaiah 54 verse 1, which we'll go to in a minute. It's talking about seeing a barren one. And in the, C, the CWSB dictionary, commenting on this, it says barren. The word barren, it's used figuratively of Zion's not having borne the spiritual children of God as the Lord had hoped. So it's Zion not having borne the spiritual children of God, as the Lord had hoped. I think that we, as individuals, and as the church, as a whole, not everybody, we are barren. We haven't seen the fruit, the new birth that we'd hoped for, that God had looked for. I don't know for my life. My life is barren. I don't say that with proud pride. But just to sort of take a, a real look, you know, we aren't seeing fruit on the whole in terms of new birth, are we? I wonder if we see it. Do we really see it? I mean, I see it up here at the moment. I want to see it here. I want to catch it like Hannah had caught it. Do we see our barrenness as individuals and as a church? You know, not just a theory, but the heart. We tend to be blind, we don't see it, or we're indifferent to it. We don't, it doesn't really move us. 
I'm just, it's not very Christmassy, is it? But it is. We need to ask God, to let God show us our barren state. Our total lack of fruit. If you've seen lots of fruit in your life, I apologize to you. It's difficult when you preach. Sometimes the people you want to respond are the ones that don't, and the people that don't need to respond are the ones that respond. So, but but um, we've done some of the right things. We've tried, haven't we? We've done some of the right things. We've tried to do outreach. We've tried to talk to our friends, but we've not seen the fruit. Like Hannah, she would have been knowing her husband regularly, but nothing was happening. And she'd be praying. Hannah had to become desperate. She had to become desperate. God, I'm barren. God, move. And I believe that's what we need to become like. We need to ask God to show us our barren state, to really see it. We're not producing the fruit that he desires to give. We need to pray. We need to repent as he leads us by the Spirit. I'm going to keep repeating myself probably, but we, the Holy Spirit needs to show us, make us aware of our barrenness. We need to ask him to make us desperate for fruit, for spiritual sons. It's not that God doesn't want to give us spiritual sons, but, and the problem's not on his point, on his part. The problem's more to do with us, isn't it? We need to let him change us, to bend us, so we can pray and fast and be ready. But the good thing is, in Isaiah 54, verse 1, here's the promise. Here's the promise if we will allow God to move on our hearts and allow God to do what he wants to do. Sing, O Baramon. I'm, I'm saying that's us. Sing, O Baramon, who did not bear. Burst into song and shout, you, are, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be more than the children of her that is married, says the Lord. And then this is what we have to do in that situation. Enlarge the site of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. And your descendants will possess the nations and will settle the desolate towns. Let's believe what he's saying. That we can sing as a barren one. We can let him move. And he will change our situation. He will give us fruit. Much fruit. As you've seen, you know, the, the angel said, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. That's what we need to do, present ourselves. Here am I, your servant, Lord. Here am I, an instrument of righteousness. Here am I, a slave of righteousness. God, do in my heart what you need to do so that I can see much spiritual fruit at this time in this land. Break my heart for the lost, for the state of my barren life, the barren church. Motivate me to pray and to fast and to seek you. You know, it struck me, I could pray at the end and I could pray for you all and la-di-da, it's done. But it's not. It's not about me praying. For you. It's about each one of us, as I said at the beginning, taking responsibility for the state of our lives um, and to make it our business to pray consistently, persistently, to fast if necessary, um, to, to be moved and troubled by God 
until we see the answer. We need to ask, how can I change my life to make time and space to seek him, to pray and fast, to seek the reviver, not just revival. That was an interesting thing in the week that I heard from this lady who'd been through two revivals, one at Pensacola, one at the Bay of the Holy Spirit. She said, seek the reviver, not revival. Seek the reviver. Yeah, okay, we pray for revival, but we're looking for him. It's him we want. It's him we want. We don't just want a revival of religion. We want him. We want more of him. Um, and, and one I've said, it's not, this is not to condemn you. I don't think we should be condemned. But this is to say, we need to see it first. Because when we see it and really feel it, we can change. Because that's what's needed. That's what we can't go on as we, we have been. Because we're not getting anywhere. Church is not, you know, but the church is dissipating. The land's getting worse. You know, we're going into greater darkness. Not that God doesn't want to move. He does. But we're not making a difference at the moment. And it's not just, we need to do more. You know, come on, get my wheels really, you know, all we do when we do more with our wheels spinning is get lots of mud all over the place, don't we? If you've seen wheels spin in a car and lots of mud coming about. It's time to face up to our barrenness and to repent and to seek him to change us, to seek his power to change us. Because only by the Spirit, only by the Spirit that we can change. I don't know if you've been, I mean, I'm 61 now. I've been trying to change myself for years. Not very easy, impossible, in fact. But the Holy Spirit can change us. And he wants to change us and make us these people. He wants us to be fruitful. You know, in John 15, it said that we were to bear fruit, more fruit, and more, more fruit. I can't remember the exact things. It's something like that, isn't it? Um, because the barrenness is not the end. It's not the final state if we do something about it. If we face it and take responsibility and repent and seek him, it is a new beginning. A beginning of more and more fruit. I've said that already. But as I said at the beginning, it doesn't, help, it doesn't happen automatically. We need to take hold of these things and take them before God. Pray. Fast. I hate fasting. But it's that, you know, I did a bit of fasting in the week and, you know, not to blow my own trumpet, you know, it kind of, it was hard work. You know, and then I was listening to, I've been listening to these revival podcasts by um, Steve Apple. Man, they are challenging. The things that he get, gets people in from different revival, you know, different revival settings and, and talks to them. And, you know, I get so inspired. I've read to move to the Midlands and to join his church and, because it's just so inspiring, partly because it's from where I come from, you know, my, my territory, seeing God move there. But it's so inspiring. He had, um, uh, what's that guy, the fasting guy? Lou Engel. Lou Engel, listen to Lou Engel. So I'm in the middle of this little fast, been doing it, and Lou Engel's on there. Lou Engel said, uh, yeah, I read this book when I was a young man, so I just fasted for 18 days, I think. Hmm. That's a bit more difficult. <laughs> but how, I was thinking, how on earth do you do that even? And, and it is by the grace of God. But, you know, it, the reason I'm fasting is because we've, got, we've had a busy week with the Revival Hub. And, and one of my friends, Charles, said at the beginning, let's, well, let's fast. Prayer and fasting is good. Let's, so I've done it. And I've seen, yeah, it's so necessary. It's so necessary to not just to kind of twist God's arm. You know, I, the more I fast, the more I've got God's arm up his back. Oh, okay, okay, Roger, I'll do it. But it, it, it changes me. You know, because I don't know about you, but I'm realizing again recently, and I'm not going to necessarily preach this because I'm not sure I've quite got it, but I am a spiritual man. Yeah? Christ in me. 
in my spirit. Perfect. But I need to get my body and my uh, soul in line with what's going on in my spirit. And fasting is part of that. It brings my body under. Brings my, my body wants to do all kinds of things. You know, it does. So I need to get it. I need to, my spirit needs to say to it, body, get under. You will do the will of God. Soul, get under. You will do the will of God. We need to start taking authority of ourselves. And fasting helps that. Helps us change. So in a time, coming to time, feasting. Enjoy your feasting, but let's be looking to how we can fast and live, and live a fasted life. Kenneth Hagin talks about a fasted lifestyle, of, of, of always leaving the table a little bit hungry. I mean, that's a kind of a bizarre notion for me. You know, my father-in-law used to say, um, offered any more food, say, I, I don't need it. I think, and? <laughs> Just eat it. <laughs> you know, that's my kind of, uh, you, you know, sorry. I know most of you aren't like that. Most of you are disciplined. But, um. So let's ask God to change us, to show us how barren we are, and to show us how to change and to seek him, that he can make us um, uh, more fruitful. But I was praying the other day, I was praying, Lord, give me a spiritual son. And then I remembered, I have a son. Okay? So I'm going to be a bit more encouraging now. Okay? I have a son. I have two daughters. Um, and so I was thinking, yeah, God. My son, well, I'm one of my daughters, is, is not walking with you at the moment. So I want them back. But I found this really encouraging uh, verse or, or, or bit in the Bible that I want to just share with you. I've shared it with one or two people. Um, it's in Jeremiah 31. It's been interesting again recently. I, people talk about Jeremiah as the weeping prophet or the moaning prophet or something. I, I, I read Isaiah. I kind of was fine. I read Jeremiah. It's fantastic. really is good. And chapter 31, there's so much in there. It's fantastic all about the covenants and stuff. But, and this is almost a Christmas message. We're getting back into the Christmas thing. But if you look at 16, uh, and this, this was talking to me into my sense of, of, I have a son. I want to see him back. Okay? Back with God. It says, Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. Indeed, I heard Ephraim pleading. You disciplined me and I took the discipline. I was like a calf untrained. Bring me back. Let me come back. For you are the Lord my God. For after I turned away, I repented. And after I was discovered, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and I was dismayed because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he the child I delight in? As often as I speak against him, I shall remember him. Therefore, I am deeply moved for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. That's a great promise for kids who aren't with Jesus at the moment. Let's claim it. And it's interesting. I don't know if you'd flick back to verse 15, because it's a prophecy we all know. It's a, this is a Christmas prophecy. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted. You know, it's a, they use that for he, when Herod kills those the babies, doesn't they? And, and they do the, the nine lessons of carols. But it's so good. God's saying, keep your voice from weeping. It's a promise, an encouragement that we need to stand on. For our natural children, they shall come back from the land of the enemy. 
Obviously, we need to pray. Obviously, we need to fast and do whatever. But the promise is there. And often a promise is there so that we can take it to God and say, <laughs> people talk about reminding God. I think well, he doesn't need reminding in the sense. We need reminding. We need to remember it and stand on it, don't we? Um, but it comes as promises. It's, uh, you know, and in there it says, they, they're saying, bring me back. Let me come back for you, the Lord my God. So let's be encouraged about our natural children. Because I know quite a few of us have got kids that are, are away. We believe in that they were brought up in the way they should go. They will come back to it. But um, that's encouraging, isn't it? So, conclusion. I'll just tell you that. Actually, Jackie's going to send the kids in. It's went half past five, so be careful. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time to leave our sheep. Whatever he reveals them to be, the hindrances, the distractions, leave them behind and go and find him. To behold the lamb. Go and find. Leave your sheep. Go and find. They'll be different for each one. That's why I'm saying I can only look after my scooter. You have to find out what, what, what your part is. What are the things that are distracting you? What are the things that are preventing you finding him? You, you can't leave your family behind. In a sense, you've got, still got to look after your kids. I'm sorry. You know, you can't kind of throw them out. Sorry. I can't look after you anymore. I'm seeking the Lord. No, that's not quite what it means, is it? But, you know, but they don't have to be a distraction. We can bring up children in a way that they're not a distraction. That they don't prevent us from really seeking God. Whatever it is for you, leave it behind. Put it away. Seek Him. Okay? And then secondly, it's time to face up to our barrenness as individuals and the church. Initially to seek him to reveal to us, to really see our barrenness. And to work into us a desperation, a longing to see spiritual sons and daughters born to us. And I think either yesterday or this morning it struck me that, you know, children are born from intimacy. Parents are intimate with one another, children are born. You know, children are going to come to us through intimacy with the Father. There's no shortcuts. There's no prayer and then it's going to happen. We need to spend time with him. And that's been the message that Mark's been bringing um, and, and others, haven't they? We need to spend, it can't, that, we need to be intimate in him, looking to bring fruit. But we need to see his revival in our city, that, you know, the, the bigger, wider city, all the way to Bethel End and beyond. We need to see revival in our city, in our church, in our lives. And it's time to continue to seek God and pray for our children. I know, I know you pray for your children, but let's be encouraged to pray with greater faith, to see. Because, um, you know, to coin a song, even though we don't think he is working, he's working. He's working. And we see that in our own family a little bit. Things suddenly pop out of nowhere. You think, oh, that's a bit bizarre. I didn't think you were thinking that kind of thing. But his promises to our natural children that they will return as we seek him. All things are possible to him. In each area, we need to pray. In fact, the trouble is with the word pray. We've been beaten over the head with it too many times, haven't we? It just means going into God's presence and seeking him and asking him, listening to him. What's on your heart, Lord? What do you want for me? 
What is it for me? What do you want for me? What do I need to leave behind? How do I need to change? Don't worry about your neighbor. Let them sort their own scooter out. But what is it you're saying to me, Lord? And are you prepared to do what he's asking? Here am I, your servant. Let it be done unto me as you say. And what I'd recommend is that if you're wanting to move on in any or all of these areas, find people of like mind, like heart, to pray with, to stand together, to fast together. One of the things about fasting is I much prefer fasting with other people. Doing your own is quite hard. But knowing that someone else is also suffering is, is a bit easier. So uh, you know, that's lighthearted. But knowing someone else is doing it together is always, is always easier. Find people of like heart. Come and pray with us. In a prayer meeting, we could do with some fresh life. You know, we get tired of our own voices sometimes. We need some fresh life in there. We've got one tomorrow evening at Queen Elizabeth at a quarter to eight. Just, just there to come into God's presence, to seek him and let him move on our hearts. I don't mean prayer in the old sense of just coming in and rabbiting onto God for an hour and then going away again. We need to come and listen. Saying, what are you saying, Lord? Catching the heart of the Spirit. That's prayer. It's praying back to him what he's saying, really, isn't it? Not coming up with our own little notions of give me a, give me a motorbike and a, all that kind of stuff. And if you, if you don't know how to carry on, get in touch with me or Mark or someone. Or do, let's, just, let's just work this through together. Because even if no one else goes on, I want to go on. You know, it's time to change. We have to change. We have to change. We have to change. We have to change. It has to change. And now is the time, isn't it? And only God can change us. But only as we seek him and ask him to share his heart in his presence as we fast and pray. Will you take that first step? Will you go into his presence and ask him? Yeah? Can we stand, please? I just, want you to be, I just want you to be quiet for a moment and just be asking God. This isn't the fullness of your praying on this, but just the beginning, asking God to give you an initial thing. Just ask God what, what your next step is. Father, I pray that you would take my words and apply them to people's lives, that they would hear what you're saying. Not necessarily what I'm saying, but what you're saying. Lord, give us grace to see the step or steps that we should take and the strength and the boldness and the grace to take them. To walk in the things you have for us, 
because you want us to be fruitful. You want us to have many spiritual sons and you want our natural sons and daughters to come back to you. And that's what we want, Lord. So Lord, do in us and help us to respond to enable that to happen, Lord. And now to him, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. May the grace of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the love of God be with you all. Didn't quite say that right, but you know what I mean. Grace of God and the love of... I'm not going to say it, it'll get even worse. But you know what I mean, Lord. I pray your grace and your love and your fellowship with the Godhead will be ours in Jesus' name. Amen. So be blessed, faith life. Enjoy your week. Thank you for coming. I think we've had a good time together in the house. Can't beat it. Can't beat it. And um, if you just help us clear up, that would be that would be helpful as well. So bless you. Have a good week. And um, see you on Monday, those who can come. Amen.